We now present to you our September podcast, the Mountain Care Old Time Radio Hour. Join us on a journey to the golden age of radio on our time machine, back to the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. We are your hosts. I'm Bob Jackson. And Barb Williams. And we are joined today by our Mountain Care Drama Club. Today's episode includes songs from Irving Berlin, our Mountain Care renditions of George Burns and Gracie Allen, Five Questions with Emily, our radio program Stormy Night Murder, and our Remember When panel discussion of movies. Hey Barb, what did you think of our first episode? You know, that was really a lot of fun, and it was. I'm excited to continue with these podcasts and look forward to uh, trying some new things. Great. Well, um, I, I have a quick story. I was reintroduced to George Burns recently. Now, you see, I remember George from the Oh God movies of the 70s and 80s when he had gray hair and those thick round glasses. But a couple months ago, I was flipping through my TV when I came across the Burns and Allen show. It's on an Antenna TV weekdays at 6 a.m. I was shocked to see the show from the 50s and um, how amazing the writing was and how funny George Burns and Gracie Allen were. Um, it, it was just fantastic. So here is um, Ken and Barb with our rendition of George Burns and Gracie Allen. Well, Gracie, any news from home? Yes, I got a letter from my little niece, Jean. What did she say? She didn't say anything. She didn't phone. It was a letter and she wrote it. I mean, what did she write? It's spring again and my family is putting on a backyard circus, just like we did when I was a kid. Every spring you kids used to put on your own circus. Yes, of course. Admission was free, but that was only for the people who could afford it. Well, that's because we're living in a democracy. Oh, yes, isn't it nice? Anyway, my cousin Barney was the sword swallower, and what a performance he put on. The kids would cheer when he put a sword four feet long down his throat. Could Barney really swallow a sword? Oh, George, don't be silly. It was a trick. You know the scabbard that the sword fits into? Yeah. Well, before the show, he would stick that down his throat. I see. Then, when he'd slip the sword into it... Everybody thought he was swallowing it. Yeah. It's a shame to fool the public like that. But the admission was free. Oh, I forgot. And Uncle Otis was the strong man. He'd come out in a leopard skin and put big nails in his mouth and twist them between his teeth until they bend. That's quite a trick. Yes, but he looked pretty ridiculous walking around with all those bent teeth. Well, that'd come in handy if he happened to get a crooked ear of corn. Who else was in the sideshow? One of the big hits was Uncle Harvey and Aunt Clara. What was their act? Half man, half woman. But didn't you have two halves left over? Oh, no, they both got into one costume. Now I get the picture. George, it wasn't a picture. They did it in person. What was your part in the circus? I was the lion tamer. You were the lion tamer? Of course. I just used our house cat. For two weeks before the circus, 
I taught her all kinds of tricks, to sit on a pedestal, to roll over, to play dead. Sounds like a pretty smart cat. Yes, but when she got in front of the audience, she forgot all her tricks and just had kittens. There must have caused a sensation. It was, but what good was it? The silly cat wouldn't do it again for the second performance. Say good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Ah, thank you, Ken and Barb, and now our featured artist of the month, Irving Berlin. Here is Cheek to Cheek. Welcome to a new segment on the Old Time Radio Hour. This is called Talking Jazz with Sam. Welcome back to the podcast. Sam, how are you today? Hey, Bob. It's a, it's a pleasure to see you again. I always enjoy uh, coming in and, and relating some experiences that I've had. Well, thank you. Today we're talking jazz, and uh, especially two jazz artists, and we're going to start with Duke Ellington. Sam, will you tell me about Duke Ellington? Oh, the Duke. Uh, no one can replace Duke in the music business. He's a giant. But anyway, uh, let me give you uh, a little background. This happened to be in a town 30 miles from Philadelphia. Lovely town. And I happened to be a, the president at that time, of the Kiwanis Club, which, as you know, Bob, is a service uh, club to serve the community. And every year, they have a uh, campaign to raise money so they can spread their charity. And I think that's wonderful. Uh, every year, though, the great birds, the great birds uh, of the club would have the marine 
band, which is a great draw for uh, everyone in the community. But at that time, I was a young snapper. <laughs> uh, Jitterbug was at the height of of the entertainment business, and uh, I didn't quite go along with getting the rain band. So how can I get around that? <laughs> I went to my friend uh, uh, Louis, who had a music store, and together I, I proposed to him. Would he be interested in joining me to go to Philadelphia and go to a jazz club if we could possibly get someone of a stature to replace the Marine Band? So one day we went down to Louis and I in his car. <laughs> and we went to this jazz club. And uh, jazz clubs are always alive, kicking, beautiful. So we went to the manager, little guy, and he was smoking a cigar. And I went up to excuse me, sir, and I told him the reason for there, why being there. And they said, okay, kid. What's <laughs> uh, what we, we could do? So he excused himself. Went beyond the counter and somewhere else. Louis and I cooled our heels until we were seeing again. So about 15 minutes later, he was up. He said, okay, you guys, Louis and I. Uh, how would you like to have Duke Huntington? <laughs> oh, you gotta be kidding. Are you for real? <laughs> he said, yes, very much, he's real. Well, we'll do it, we'll do it, right on the spot. So, a date was came for Louis, I mean, uh, Duke and his orchestra to come to this marvelous little town and present a concert. Louis and I were so excited about it. And uh, the day came, publicity was out, and uh, I was hoping for a, an overflow crowd. But only to my dismay, it did not draw. Uh, and that time, but I couldn't understand it because even at that time he was just great. And his name was uh, associated with uh, great music. So anyway, what could we do? I, I entered Duke to the crowd, but before doing that, the band came down around six o'clock from New York, New York. <laughs> and uh, Duke was the first one out, of course, it's protocol. And uh, I greeted him and I asked him if he uh, would like to go to dinner. 
Oh, oh boy. <laughs> you know, I was very young, Bob, and uh, it just thrilled me to be able to have dinner with this person. So you had dinner with the Duke? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the Duke and I. The Duke and I. We spent about an hour and it was a, a diner. <laughs> At that time, diners were very big. And so there was no problem for the Duke going to a diner. So we talked about many things. Uh, if you ever had the pleasure of meeting Duke, uh, he, he's a very smooth, varnished, <laughs> uh, Elegant-looking gentleman. Much like yourself, Sam. Oh, you're very kind, Bob. <laughs> anyway, uh, how are we, we go to the concert hall. The musicians, meanwhile, were doing their thing. And we had it, but as it, it bombed, as they say in the business. <laughs> Did you keep your presidency? Oh, well, let me tell you that. That's another story. <laughs> But I'll quickly tell you, the old group, the old <laughs> smoking the cigars and with a big stomach, you know the type. Uh, they were getting together a little uh, bit of business <laughs> of what to do with this young snapper. <laughs> I had one ally, Louis. <laughs> But it didn't come to pass that they would impeach me. Good. That's okay with me. I don't care. I, I was an artistic <laughs> success for me personally. Uh, I didn't do it for that reason, but it came to be that. So uh, we had to get, then they clambered back into the bus and after giving the concert and uh, do thank everyone, a very gracious guy. Uh, we shook hands, got in the bus, off they go to New York. Bob, please allow me, if you will, to tell you something about Frank Sinatra. Yes. You've heard of him. Oh, my way. <laughs> That's right. But this goes back years now to 1939. And in 1940, uh, Frank was unknown at that time. He and the two kids from the neighborhood uh, entered a contest for uh, amateurism, and they didn't make it. But Frank, he broke away from the, the two guys who were singing in, in Hoboken, New Jersey. Yes. The thing. <laughs> Not exactly uh, uh, Las Vegas, but Hogokum. <laughs> uh, he would at times, at night, go over to Jersey, Jersey, you know, the, the Hudson River uh, separated Hoboken and New City. And uh, <clears throat> he would go over to this. Uh, we would call it a dive. 
<laughs> if you don't under the understanding of dive. Yep. And uh, he would sing, and someone caught his voice, and uh, who was connected with Harry James. Harry James was a big band leader. Big bands at that time were very big. And uh, lo and behold, Harry James hired Frank Sinatra to be his singing with that group. And then that lasted a little while, and then Tommy Dorsey heard Tommy Dorsey. Frank. And uh, he said, gee, I'd like to have him for my band. So we hired him away from Harry James and took him on. And he had a number of fine musicians and his band was well received. Tommy Dorsey was at the top of the violin. So Frank uh, did indeed uh, become a member of the Dorsey group to the point where he was outstanding or outshining others on the program. Uh -oh. And one time uh, they played the Paramount in New York and the girls in the audience went crazy. And that told Frank, I want to go alone. <laughs> I don't need Dorsey. <laughs> and he tried, he tried very hard to depart from uh, Dorsey, but Dorsey said, hey, look, Frank, come on, come on. You got a contract. Honor the contract. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But he, uh, he went to his friends. Same time as the friends. Friends, and you say, Sam? Friends. Okay, I got you. You don't know who I, I'm with you now. Do you know, do you know the connotation? I, I, I think I'm with you here. All right. And he's, he's, he's angry because Dorsey won't let him go. His friends took care of that. <laughs> they went to uh, Tommy and said, Tommy, do you like playing this place? Oh, of course. Do you like playing so-and-so? Oh, yes. Well, if you want to continue <laughs> going to those places and bringing band, you got to release Frank. So he saw the handwriting on the wall and said, oh, okay, okay. And the rest was history. <laughs> And the rest is Now for my favorite part of our show, five questions with Emily. Emily was born in 1924 in New Jersey. She has a master's degree in music from Columbia University. She's a former school teacher and current trivia whiz. Here's Emily. Emily, tell me about growing up in New Jersey. It was a good state to grow up in. I think we had good schools. Uh... It wasn't a poor state, so it was good. Did you make it to New York City much? Often, yeah. It was so easy. Now, growing up, music played a very important part of your life. Uh, you grew up with, with the family playing music. Um, you play music. You went to school for music. Tell me how music has influenced your life. Huh. 
That's a good question. I don't know if I can give you an answer. Well, my father was a very good violinist and a cellist, and he played trombone. When did you pick up music? Well, my mother insisted that I learn the staff, so she drew five lines. No, push. Thank you. She drew five lines and said, this is every good boy deserves food. And then she had to do the left hand too. And she drilled me on that. <laughs> What's your favorite instrument to play? Piano. Um, and you were a choir teacher, is that correct? Choir director. Qu choir director. In the church. What is your favorite type of music to listen to? Oh, gosh. I guess any good classical music. Now, Emily, you grew up in the 1930s. Do you have any stories about growing up in the 30s? I can remember my mother came over one day and she said, the banks are going to collapse tomorrow. I couldn't sleep that night <laughs> and I was about five years old. <laughs> and the next day it was the beginning of the depression. Moving on to a, a happier subject, Emily, you come um, every day in a different beautiful hat. Can you tell us about the hats that you wear? My daughter loves to decorate hats. Says the horror's just a game. <laughs> Do you like them? Oh, I love them. Do you have a favorite hat? I don't know. I don't even know what I have on. I like this one. Speaking of favorites, um, our fifth question on every five questions with is your favorite dessert. Emily, what's your favorite dessert? I have no idea. Let's see. Maybe lemon meringue pie? Very nice. Thank you, Emily. Mountain Care Drama Club now presents you with The Stormy Night Murder. Welcome to another radio mystery show. The episode, The Stormy Night Murder, is sure to challenge all you amateur detectives out there. It was a dark and stormy night in Jonesville. Jagged bolts of lightning racked the sky above Detective Callahan's house. <coughs> Glad I'm not out there tonight, Callahan said. He gazed out his bay window at the thick, frozen fog that had engulfed the landscape. As his yard vanished and was replaced by an eerie, foggy void, Callahan guessed it was about five degrees outside right now. Too cold for anything but tea and a book. Ah! <laughs> Whoa, that just must be a loon. Minutes later, Pat Murphy, the desk sergeant at the precinct, was preparing to call Detective Callahan. Hello? Callahan, this is Murphy. 
We have an apparent suicide at 1237 Appleway Drive. Will you check it out since you live so close? Sure. Thanks, Officer Smith and Johnson. We're ready already at the scene. Callahan only had to drive around the block to get to the stately home of Celine Omar, heiress to the Omar Tasty Snacks fortune. He drove up the long driveway, passing a small guest house, which was about 60 feet from the bigger one. He parked in front of the main house's big bay window and walked inside. He entered the house and was greeted by Johnson, who led him into the study with the big bay window he'd parked under. Only the desk lamp was on, giving the room a shadowy appearance. Inside was Smith, holding an evidence bag containing the murder weapon, a large butcher knife. The body of Miss Omar was in the middle of the room, covered with a sheet. On the couch sat a woman in a white nightgown and a man in pajamas, both disheveled and spotted with blood. What happened here? I'm Tessa the maid. I live in the guest house on the drive, and my front window faces the bay window. I heard a scream as I was looking, getting ready for bed. I looked out the front window and saw him struggling with Miss Omar. I rushed in to stop him, but she was already laying on the floor. He tried to pull, I tried to pull the knife out and save her, but he attacked me too. The whole staff knew he hated her. They were chased dating up until a month ago. When she broke it off, he seemed fine, but we were all knew that he tried to get revenge. What? She is a liar. Calm down, sir. Why don't you tell me what happened? I am John the butler. I live in the guest house out back. I heard the scream and ran in the back door. When I got to the study, I saw Teresa Tessa standing over Mrs. Omar's body. I rushed over to Celine and tried to pull out the knife to save her, but Teresa, Tessa attacked me. I love Celine. I would never hurt her, but Celine had found out that Tessa has been stealing from her. Tessa watches out her front window and spies on Celine in the study. When Celine is occupied, Tessa goes into the house and steals from her. She was about to be fired. Lies! Ah, uh, you're gonna have to calm down, madam. What do you think, detective? Both their fingerprints will be on the knife, and I've never heard two such conflicting stories. Take Tessa into custody. She's obvi obviously lying. How did Callahan come to this conclusion? We will be back after this message from our sponsor. <laughs> Coca-Cola, pure refreshment. Drink a bottle of Coca-Cola and be lucky. Ask the dealer for details. Detective Callahan knew John was telling the truth and that Tessa had to be, have been lying. Callahan had looked out his own window at home and had not been able to see anything through the foggy void. Being only a block away, the conditions would have been the same at Ms. Omar's home. Tessa would not have been able to see into a poorly lit room 
through 60 feet of frozy fog, making her story impossible. Uh, now for today's panel guests for our Remember When segment, we have our Drama Club members, and I want to talk today about movies. Um, Susan, favorite movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s era? Wizard of Oz. Barb? Gone with the Wind. Ken? Um, meet me in St. Louis. Casablanca. Casablanca, very nice. Um, so talking about movies, drive-in theaters were, were big in, uh, in, in this era. Susan, you have a story for me about the drive-in movie theaters? Yes, my husband and I, when our twins are young, um, baby young, we had some big boxes that were matches in the bottom that you could collapse and carry with you. So we went to drive-in movies, see a movie we wanted to see. We drove around for a long time until they fell asleep in the back seat of our car in the big board, the containers. And then we went to the movie. Guess what? They didn't stay asleep. Of course not. Of course not. Since we stopped, they woke up. Ken, you got a, you got a story about the moving theater, or the driving theaters. Yeah. We, uh, my girlfriend and I went to the drive-in one evening and and uh, we uh, parked and got a speaker inside the window, hung a speaker inside the window, and uh, we were sitting there all loved up and all of a sudden somebody come and jerked the door open and I like to fell out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, Paul, do you remember what the prices of uh, movies were when oh, you were yeah. younger? 35 cents. 35 cents. For the balcony. Not for the balcony. Now it's about $20. Uh, <laughs> we had a movie theater in Black Mountain where I lived and uh, I could take uh, 25 cents and uh, get in the movie and get a bag of popcorn and something to drink for 25 cents. Ah, uh, it's not that way anymore. No, it's not. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for our Remember When segments. Throw that in, Sam. Cool. Frank Sinatra. Yes, yes, yes. God, yes. our featured artist of the month was uh, Irving Berlin. Here's one more from Irving. No business like show business. <laughs>
And that was our blast from the past. Thank you for joining us on a journey down memory lane. And as always, may your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. Join us next month on the Mountain Care Old Time Radio Hour.